this season, we met a woman named Lauren. She played a game dressed up as a crayon on my Halloween show, and she won $10,000. Which door? Look over there. Which door? Okay. All right, so I just received, and I don't know why we didn't see this earlier, but I just recently came across a video that her husband posted on Ellen Tube of what happened after the show that day. What happened? They gotta go on Ellen. <laughs> and did you win? Hey everyone, that is Lauren. She's a new mom to be, and so Ellen was her most exciting moment, her greatest joy. So, for those of you in Iowa City and those of you that are here in this room, I just want to say hello. My name is Haley Shepherds. I'm the pastoral intern here at Kairos, and I would like you to turn to the person next to you and let them know the last time you cried over something that you loved that much. Go ahead and tell someone next to you. All right, for those of you in Iowa City and those of you here in this room, I'm gonna bring your attention back to the front and talk about a couple things tonight. We're still continuing our series, um, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. So this is the last, um, this is the last series that we're gonna have is tonight. Um, I think God had a hand in us picking this series, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. We're kind of in this crazy point in time right now where we're kind of struggling with that question. And maybe someone's asked you this week, um, what to do? What should we do? Um, for Lauren, uh, it was easy to be thankful for something. Um, it was ex ex easy to be um, joyous for something that she loved. Um, but sometimes we face things in life um, that aren't so joyous and aren't so good, that we're not thankful for, um, that we have actually to struggle and worry about. And so for thankful, um, for Lauren, she had this dream to be on Ellen. Um, it was the greatest moment of her life. Um, she was pregnant during this time, so there was some hormones going on. Uh, but you could see from the tears, she was so excited because Ellen is her favorite, and she loves Ellen so, so much. Um, but I did have someone who I love very, very much call me this week um, and ask me that question, what to do when you don't know what to do? And so this person in my life um, is very much a planner. Uh, she plans everything to a T, has a calendar by the hour, um, is extremely organized, and because she's my sister, I operate the same way. Um, we've ta I've talked about my sister a lot. Every time I'm up here, I swear, uh, but it's because I'm not married, so you get my sister. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but so my sister called me, and uh, she found out that her trip may be canceled for some summer study abroad. She was supposed to go to Spain, and so like many of you, I'm sure you had plans. And now your plans have to change. And you're stuck asking this question, what do I do? I don't know what to do. She doesn't know what to do about the $2,000 she may lose in her plane tickets. And some of you are probably feeling that pain too. And for you, I'm so, so sorry. I'll be praying for you. Um, but then there's other things. Maybe you have someone you love um, who maybe you're worried about getting sick. So what do we do with this worry and this confusion um, when we don't know what to do? Maybe you're thinking there's no way I can go and live under my mother's roof for three weeks when I come back from spring break. 
Um, whatever you're thinking right now, um, we're going to answer this question with one last answer, and that's what to do when we don't know what to do. But instead of starting at the first verse that we read tonight, we're actually going to start at the last verse. Um, the author of this psalm um, was actually in a different mood than Lauren. He was in a mood of complete despair. And so we read in this last verse, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Maybe you're in a place where you're feeling this. Maybe you're in a place where you're like Lauren um, and life is going really well. Um, but my sister um, did not, does not, probably feels more like this way. Uh, maybe it's something in your life where um, it's something you can't control. I don't know if about you, but um, we actually learned that in this verse here, uh, there's lots of theologians who actually um, anticipate that this author was depressed. And I've met with maybe seven students the past couple months who are experiencing the same thing. Depression is real. Um, it's something that uh, is a circumstance in our life. And it's something that at Kairos, we're not going to brush over. Whether you have depression, anxiety, OCD, ADD, um, ADHD, you name it. This is not a place where you're not going to be seen, where you're not going to be heard. We want you to talk about your experiences because they're real. They're real to us because they're real to God. And so you come to this place where maybe you're not um, feeling the joy that Lauren's experiencing, but you're in this place um, where this author is. Why am I so discouraged? I don't understand. Maybe there's a reason for why we're discouraged. Maybe it's our circumstances, like my sister. Um, and other times, um, it really just has to do with, with how we operate. And we're trying to ask God this question, what do I do? I don't know what to do and we feel stuck. Um, but there's this thing that we're, we're called to do and it's commanded of us and God calls us to praise. Now, what does that mean? We learned that we get to um, put our hope in God as this next verse and the screen. It f directly follows this verse. And so I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. This word praise, we can get stuck on it, especially if we didn't grow up in the church. And if you're looking back at the church and the way you grew up, these words are strange. Praise, worship, bow down. They can tend to seem a little weird. Um, it can seem a little dangerous, but oftentimes we misinterpret them in a different way. So we look at this word praise and think maybe, uh, praise be to God. Doesn't that imply God's power and imply God's place? It's not just about ascending praises, it's about receiving. And so why does God need this praise? What's our praise worth to God? One of the greatest theologians of the world that the world has ever seen, his name is C.S. Lewis, um, and he actually um, started looking for answers. He um, started looking for this answer to why does God need our praise? And this is a quote from him. We all despise the person who demands continued assurance of his own virtue, intelligence, delightfulness. We despair. Still, the crowd of people around every dictator, every millionaire, every celebrity who gratifies that demand. This is what we learn from C.S. Lewis. Who is this God that we must praise? Why does he need our praise? And then if you look at Lauren, who's, who's basically worshiping Ellen at that point with her emotions, um, she's gratifying Ellen in that way. In the same way, we can be convinced that we're supposed to gratify God and God gets something out of that from us. But we actually learned that that's not what praise is about. So praise in Hebrew is actually pronounced yada. And you'll see it on, um, we'll go back one screen. I missed one, sorry about that. Um, but go ahead, everyone say yeah. Everyone say da. Combine it, yada. Nailed it. I, I swear, I think yeehaw came from that word because it also means something similar, but I'm still trying to you know, identify that to see if it's right. 
Um, but praise literally means to use. So we worship God and we praise God. Worship actually means what we do. And praise means what we can offer. And so oftentimes we think of offering as something we have to give to God. Um, but praise is a little bit different because we don't have to worship God in the same way that we used to. We don't have to offer sacrifices like they did in the past because Christ fulfilled that offering. Christ fulfilled that sacrifice. So now we get to praise God in worship, and that looks a little bit different. Praise literally means to use from a literal sense, so we get to use maybe things that we're gifted with. Maybe you're a great athlete. Uh, maybe you're really smart. Maybe you love people really well. Those are all gifts that you can use to praise God. So that's a literal sense of praise. Then there's other things, like looking to God, to surrender to God, to ask for help, and to give thanks. These are things that aren't required. Um, but then God uh, kind of asks us, uh, he commands this. But what does that mean? He commands us to praise over and over in the Psalms. But a command isn't the same thing uh, that we think it is. It's not a requirement. So because God loves us, we are not commanded to praise because we have to. It's because we want to. God gets nothing out of that. And we also forget there's another command, to love others, um, to love God, and love others as ourselves. That command is the highest command we could ever have, is to love others. But the most repetitive command in Scripture is to praise. But God gets nothing from that. We do not praise God because he needs it. We praise God because we need it. When we praise something, we align ourselves with it, right? So when we give God thanks, when we use our time and our talents um, to praise God with the gifts we've been given, we then align ourselves with God. There's a little baby um, at church on Sunday. If any of you have gone, you've probably seen this baby um, roaming around. But this baby can't walk and it can't stand yet, but it can scoot really well. Like I'm talking on the bum, move fast. Like the baby just scoots across the floor. Um, it's incredible. But because she can scoot so well, she flies. Um, and so every week you'll see her flying down the aisle and you see the dad sprinting after her and he picks her up and he puts her in the right direction where she's not gonna get hurt. That's kind of like what God commands us to do when it says praise. Come to me, surrender to me, so that I can set you in the right direction. It's not a command that I need you to obey because I get gratification from it, because I need it. It's for you, so that I can align you so that you can have life and not fall into this chaotic darkness, but so that you can see me. So this command to praise is not commanded for him, it's for us. And so we learn in Psalm 42, verses 7 and 8. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing song, praying to God who gives me life. So God is our guide. We get to surrender to this power. Not this power that controls us, but this power that gives us freedom and gives us life. And so we learn that this praise isn't for us, uh, but God wants to reorder our disordered love by giving you his love. It's nothing that we're required to do in return, um, but knowing what we need and reminding ourselves um, of this love that's given to us is what praise is all about. It's about remembering. And so, God, I need your help. I need your power within me because you love me. And so, what about those times where we're dealing with life and we're wondering, I don't know what to do, God? We feel like God's forgotten us. That's what the psalmist is experiencing in this next verse. In Psalm 42, 9, we read, O oh God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? This psalmist is experiencing this chaos of life that distracts us. And oftentimes, we don't want to praise because we're so overwhelmed by what's going on in our life. Because we look at praise as something we have to do versus something that will realign us and redirect us. It's easy to think that there's no place for us. I mean, we're so divided in our society into categories. Where's our place? This is the ultimate place we could be. When there's no light, when there's no hope, we're knocked down again and again, and we're just wandering around lost. Maybe you feel that way now, um, or maybe you're just struggling to get day by day. I know I've had one good day, and then the next good day, and I finally made it to three before I get knocked back. But even one good day is the best, and God can seem further and further away when you're in that situation, when you're experiencing that part of life. Not because God is in the chaos of life and is, is far away and doesn't want to worry about you, worry about your anxiety or your depression or sadness or frustration. All of those things in life become so loud. We forget God. God doesn't forget us. And so the chaos in your life gets closer and closer and starts to cause more pain. And we start to become more distant from God because that's all we can see. And this psalmist uh, learns that as well in, in verse 10 of um, the chapter 42. Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? What's even worse is this chaos mocks you. These experiences of life, the things that you're experiencing, your doubts, frustrations, worries, they can start to mock you. Start to convince you that God's not there and God's not coming for you. But where is God? Sometimes we convince ourselves um, that he's not near. Um, but the enemies will tell you that God is not there, that you are alone, that the enemies of your life will tell you that you're not worth worrying about, that God doesn't care, um, that leave you isolated, that leave you with worry and anxiety. And they tell you that there's nowhere where you can run or hide where they can't find you. God destroys that greatest enemy and shows up because he loves you. One of my greatest enemies for me personally um, is cars, as strange as that sounds. Um, I'm known uh, to often be in accidents. I tell everyone six, I think it's actually nine. Um, I'm just accident prone. I swear only one of them has been my fault. For some reason, I just constantly get hit. And that's what this chaos is, right? Hit after hit. No matter how many times I try, my insurance premiums go up, and it's not fun. Um, but how did I get here? I finally had one accident that was so bad, um, I'll never forget it. We all have those moments in life, right? Where we don't know what to do. Um, one night I was driving down the road and I was headed to a basketball game I was supposed to play in. Um, and my car was hit um, and I spun out of control and I ended up um, going into a ditch. But I was taught at driver's ed that when you feel like you're spinning out, which my car was, you're supposed to hit the gas, not the brake. So I hit the gas. So I went from 60 miles an hour to 75 miles an hour into a median and across into on oncoming traffic. What's crazy is I only had a second to breathe. I didn't even have a second to think. And I didn't touch the wheel. My car turned 180 degrees and stopped. There was no explanation for why this happened. It just did. And as I sat there gripping my steering wheel, I couldn't even cry. I was in shock. I just didn't understand what happened or how I had gotten there. I truly didn't know what to do. And I sat there for what maybe felt like a second, what was actually maybe five minutes. 
Um, and the minute um, I came to attention and knew that there was something going on around me, someone had ripped open the door. I didn't know who this person was, um, but I started to see that they were more familiar. The first thing I saw was their red polo, and then I saw that it was a State Farm red polo, and then I saw what everyone would expect, khakis, right? <laughs> it was my State Farm agent who had showed up, but guess who that State Farm agent is? He's my dad. My dad's my State Farm agent, so he's really mad about the insurance rates, let me tell you. <laughs> so this is him on the next screen. Um, my dad's my hero. I mean, he always just shows up. I mean, that's what dads do, right? They show up. What's crazy is the person that called the ambulance, they actually called my dad first. So he beat the cops by five minutes, and then the cops arrived. Um, so he was first on the scene. So this is a guy that shows up not only for me, but his, for, for his community. He's the typical guy who's saving cats from trees. He's ripping up carpet from people's basements. That's just what he does. He shows up because he's the hero, right? We can often get confused sometimes with who the hero is in our life that we want um, to really praise and to give glory to. But what we don't know is that during this accident, um, there was someone else with me. God was with me in that car. I shouldn't be here today. The cops even at the scene started to tear up because they looked at my tracks and said, there's no way. There's no way you should be alive. Your car kicked up dirt onto the oncoming car that you were supposed to hit. It doesn't make sense. And so I was saved by someone else that day. Sure, my dad showed up, but there was someone else with me. And so my earthly dad is imperfect, like all imperfect parents. Um, he shows up. Um, even though there's imperfect things about him, I just thought it was wonderful that he was there, that he came. But God does more than shows up. He's there. He's with you. My dad loves having the validation of being the hero. I think he, he craves it. Um, but our God doesn't need that. Our God just wants to remember who's in the passenger seat, who's with us. That's the kind of praise that God is asking for, to remember who he is and that he'll always be with you. God wants praise from you, not validation. He wants celebration. We celebrate things all the time to remember things, birthdays, anniversaries, special occasions. And so we learn in Psalm 42, 6, now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Praise reminds us of who God is and what God is capable of. We remember that God is with us. We remember that Christ died for us and that the Holy Spirit is with us. Even when we face these tumultuous seas um, of life. And so in praise and celebration, we give thanks and we respond to this chaos by praising God. And so the psalmist experiences this raging sea of life. I hear the tumult of the raging seas is what is read. The word tumult actually means loud sound. And how do we respond when we face those seas? God shows up. As your waves wash over me. Have you ever just sat in the ocean, laid your head back? You can't hear anything. If there's people on the beach, if there's noises around you, there's something about the water washing over you that just silences all the noise. And that's what God's calling you to remember. So even when the sea is raging and overwhelming, the sea oftentimes in the Bible is about chaos. It's about the things in our life that swarm us so heavily. We can't see what's right in front of us. We can't see that not only does God show up, he's right with us. And so as your waves wash over me, God's saying, let me bring you into my peace. Let me bring you into this silence. I will make things quiet for you. Just trust me. 
And when you're lying on your back and you're just letting the sea wash over you, there's something else that's there. There's the sun, the sun that's beaming down and that gives you warmth and that comforts you. That's God too. And so there's a lot of other times that we talk about the sea in scripture. God parts the sea so that you can walk through it. There's another time where God's on the boat with us in the middle of a storm. There's other times that God calls us to step out of the boat and trust him, to have faith, to believe. And that's the message that God calls us to remember, to give thanks for, to celebrate. Not because we have to do anything for it, but because that's what a relationship is about. It's about giving thanks, just appreciating that you're here. Let's be in this relationship together. And so it's by grace that you have been saved, this free gift that you just simply get to receive. God wants nothing from you. It's not required, but calls you into this place to remember who he is so you can get through the chaos of life and the storms and let this sea and water wash over you. Sounds a lot like baptism. Sounds a lot like communion. That is where freedom is. We get to remember that tonight. In our last verse, we're reminded of that, of how we get to respond to this great news. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. This is the message. The grace of God has more power we could ever understand, and it's a gift. But remind each other in these times where we're all going through our own storm of who God is and what God's capable of so that we're all not faced with this chaos, but we get to stand together as one body, as one family who gets to give love to the world. Not because it's community of us, but because that's what aligns us with him. That's what brings us together. That's what the command is and that's what it's all about. And so we sing, we give thanks, hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts because we love him, because he loved us first. And that's what this is about. And so we're gonna have two songs to end worship tonight. I just want you to remember what praise is actually really all about, what it actually means to praise and to be with God, to give thanks and to celebrate. This week, stand with one another and remind one another that we can praise even in the midst of the storms, not just in our joys. And we get to celebrate that. So let's go ahead and stand and Matthew's gonna lead us in worship.